when I first saw it, it's like, how's he going to, is he going to kill the boy and how? And he just picks him up and fucking throws him <laughs> I know, like a toy, like a doll. He's like, ugh, ugh. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> Welcome to One Fucking Hour. It is the show, of course, which we talk about one movie for one fucking hour. I am Evan Husney, and we got Tom Fitzgerald in the house. What's going on, Tom? Ah, uh, good evening, gents. It's a little crowded here tonight. It's a little more. <laughs> it's a little uh, Fab Four vibes. I like it. It is absolutely. Uh, well, first of off, we got uh, Mr. Marcus Herring. Uh, how's it going, Marcus? Welcome back. Good, good, good to be here. Yeah. And uh, we have special guest returning uh, to the show, um, his second appearance on One Fucking Hour. Welcome, everybody. Lars Nilsson of the Austin Film Society. Lars, how's it going, man? It's going just great. Thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> right on. Thanks for coming. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming uh, It's round two. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. From uh, did, All uh, the Marbles to Ingmar Bergman. Oh <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Uh, I'm very excited. Uh, we're actually doing our very first Bergman on the show, so let's get ready for one fucking Bergman, everybody. I'm very excited uh, about this. It is episode 54, and we're doing uh, The Virgin Spring from 1960. So shall we just dive right into it and start that clock? Uh, I suppose. Uh, just side note, it is good that we're doing a foreign film. It's... Uh, it's been increasing slightly. We did solo recently, but um, we right. were really landlocked for a long time here, for a year. <laughs> yeah. So it's nice. Yeah. Nice to keep expanding outward and onward. Yeah. Also, States. 1960s. You know, I was going to say. You're right. I was yeah. going to say. We've only done yeah. one film out of the 60s. So this is, this is wow. We are really showing uh, what our uh, limitations are here on the show. And but hey, it's, bl it's black and white too, right? So, that's right. Uh, oh, my go. God. Here we go. Might be a first, yeah. <laughs> Without further ado. Yeah. For you know, this was technically made in 1959 and released in 1960, so. Mm -hmm. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's a first. That's so, right. Because by 1960, the 60s hadn't happened yet anyway. You know? Yeah, that's right. right. So Yeah, there's no Beatles or anything. So. No. <laughs> right. The 60s started in 1964, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, let's get into it. I'm really excited to talk about this, treading some new territory for the show, and we got a lot to get into. So without further ado, let's do that. So I'm going to start the clock. All right, first, boom, a little bit of backstory just quick uh, on, the, uh, on the film here. So <clears throat> this is adapted from a 13th century Swedish ballad. Okay, Igmar Bergman's The Virgin Spring is the harrowing tale of faith, revenge, and savagery in medieval Sweden. Uh, with austere simplicity, the director tells the story of the rape and murder of Karen and and her father Tor's ruthless pursuit of vengeance against the three killers. Starring Max von Sydow and photographed by the brilliant Sven Nykvist. Is that how you say it? Nykvist. Nykvist. The yeah. film is both beautiful and cruel in its depiction of a world teetering between paganism and Christianity, something we're definitely going to get into in the hour. Yeah. But first, uh, Lars, uh, this was a, a Lars pick, this, uh, this film, which I'm really excited that you did because I love this movie and it was awesome to rewatch it. Just finished it a few hours ago. But give us a little um, on why it was a pick for you and, and, and why you wanted to bring it to the show. Yeah, so the, the previous movie that I joined you guys and did 
Uh, I don't know how well it went over. It was like all the marbles is a movie that I like a lot, but I, maybe I didn't really think it through when I proposed it because, you know, it's a, it's a fairly, it's a true, it's not just like a fairly trivial movie. I mean, it has its sort of like, it has its edge to it, but we ultimately did like a movie about Peter Falk as like a wrestling manager. It has like a mud wrestling scene in it. Um, uh, it There's less mud wrestling scenes in the Virgin's Planet. <laughs> Not yeah. not too many fewer. Yeah, yeah. It, it's <laughs> close. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. uh, anyway, well, can I say? But, sorry, yeah. can I can I cut you off for one second? I do want to say that all the marbles is one. I think our t- in our top five most viewed episodes. So I wouldn't shit on it too much. But go on, Lars. I'm not shitting on it. You're the guys <laughs> that shit on it for one fucking hour. I'm not shitting on it. I loved it. I liked it. No, 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 no. During the course of that episode. We were like, well, I don't know if we want to get sidetracked talking about that. And then Tom's like, no, no, let's get sidetracked. I think we should probably make Halo the Sunshine's here. It, was, it, it, did not, it did not go over well. So I was like, fuck, okay, I guess I, I went with it. something a little too trivial. Let me go with like the most serious, most intense movie that I can think of. But right. but first, it wasn't, I, I, it's not like, Evan, now you know the truth of this. The other dudes don't know the truth so much about this, but you approached me and said, what do you want to do? Because <clears throat> w- where we left it last time was you guys were like, what, whatever you want to do, you do. And I was like, well, I want to do this. And Evan's like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and then I was like, well, okay. And I was like, well, something else. I was like, well, maybe we could do this. And Evan's like, mm, what? Oh, yeah, I don't, what are you I'm saying? Not, you guys are throwing, that. you were banging around other titles. No, yeah. same. And they no, were, and they were. Go yeah, we, this is news to us. No, 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 no. Yeah, it is. But what are you talking about? I, I, I presented all the titles that Lars wanted to bring on for the show, and right. and 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 all of us collectively kind of jumped at Virgin Spring, given that it's a big hole in our sort of the types of films that we cover on the show. Like just, we were saying, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I would, I, I, I would I, pursue I, the I, others. You know, yeah. look, no one's naysaying. Just for the record, I love the yeah. perversity of. <laughs> You picking all the marbles because it was like this is so fun to have a guest because it's an off the wall pick that not, none of us, the three of us, would have never had it on our radar. Not that we hate it; it's just like it wouldn't have come up. So it was sort of a perverse, fun thing for me as, as a byproduct of bringing people in. It was like, mm-hmm. wow, okay, you know, and, yeah. and just because I didn't really take to it, that's part of the fun, you know. Well, the like, thing with uh, Virgin Spring is I don't know how many people, like how many people that are in. In this world, so this world of people who the the, I don't know, forty, fifty thousand people that listen to one fucking hour every week. How many <laughs> of those 50, people right? are, are like, yeah, I'm going to go and seek out like these Bergman films. You know, I, I, that I I'm really going to like round out the edges of my education in Bergman films. And um, and I th- I think it does happen sometimes that you kind of might look at all of Bergman films and kind of say this is some kind of like normy kind of art house shit that I'm I don't know if Criterion I'm Collection bullshit yeah thing. yeah 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 which there is a fair amount of that stuff in the Criterion Collection that's pretty normy doesn't really have like a lot to, to do with me does not really uh, mm-hmm. reach depths of my soul and I will sort of track it in a shallow way Bergman films particularly this Bergman film that's not the case with it like this is one. For the real heads, you know, mm-hmm. it really is. Mm-hmm. If you're not into this side of Bergman, and I, I've been surprised, you know, programming for an art house cinema, um, just how many of these films that, like, say, like a 26 year old with incredible taste may not have seen because he or she mm. might think, well, this is like, this is not for me. This is kind of for like these other people. So, yeah, uh, it, it gives you that kind of perspective once you're around a lot of sort of 
young cinephiles with great taste who mm-hmm. are, you know, still discovering right. um, <clears throat> their canon, you know. No, totally. I and, I, and, and I think even in context of where, you know, this movie, The Virgin Spring, sits in Bergman's filmography, you know, it's like... You know, because there are so many films of his that are your more typical normie sort of, uh, you know, art house AFI list sort of films like the what, you know, Wild Strawberry, Seven Seal, as you talked about earlier. But this movie just is fucking rips your face off. I mean, this this movie is really intensely dark um, and intensely punishing. And and the fact that, too, that it has to be viewed in its context of when it came out. We're talking about a movie that that, uh, you know, came out shot in 59 released in 60, you know, and this movie has scenes that you did not see in other movies yeah. at that time. You know, this film was censored, like in Dallas, you know, it, it wow. played, but they snipped out some moments of the, uh, her assault, you know, yeah. that scene. So, and, and, and again, just, uh, I don't know, I always enjoy this kind of thing. Like what's the cultural landscape when some of these films drop, like we're talking about solo and it's context you know mm-hmm. but this film you know this is 1960 you know most people were enjoying you know like diamonds are a girl's best friend daddy you know that kind <laughs> yeah. of daddy. that kind of hollywood <laughs> cinema haha and um saying you know and the film did win an oscar though which was sort of surprising but you know you've got bob hope presenting that this nutty movie virgin spring you know it's very strange <laughs> like the film not just in its content about like you know the 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 um, you know the rape and revenge themes uh, and how graphic it was, relatively speaking, but also just the austere, intense, sort of wooden, sculpted, you know, like restraint of these. You know, there's no music in the film, you know, for instance, no theme song or swirling score. Just one example of, of the austerity of this kind of film and how different it was and must have been so um, impactful to people who were conditioned by... Yeah, like Hollywood Fair, you know, singing in the rain. It's not so. Oh yeah, uh, I, I always find that I, I, I always wish sometimes that I did have a machine where I could experience these films. I know in their context because now we're here and it's very really different. I it's know. still and, an intense film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, but imagine yeah. like Psycho hadn't even come out, you know. Yeah, I mean, just imagine how intense this movie would have been. And like Bosley Bosley Crowther. You know, wrote about this. He was like, "This is just this movie's like a little bit too intense for people to watch." You know, mm-hmm. not children, just people to right, watch. Right. He, you know, he was like the Dorian of like the middle brow kind of you know film critic. Yeah, New York Times guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It is pretty interesting when you watch like uh, you get you get need to know what to look for uh, for things that wouldn't fly as well back then. Like I was the, the rape scene that you mentioned that gets snipped. When I saw that part of her like naked legs there and the guy like laying between it, I was like, wow, that's something that I wouldn't think I'd see in a 1960 film, you know. And then come to find out, it was edited out. Makes sense, but um, yeah. You, <clears throat> yeah. And <clears throat> but I'm also like just in terms of Bergman in general. You know, and putting it in the context of, you know, when this came out, like to me, I'm always I mean, I love his movies. I'm a huge fan. Like, you know, mm. I absolutely love his trilogy that would come just a few films later, you know, Through a Glass Darkly, Winter Light, The Silence. Those movies are fucking badass. But to me, it's like just him as a guy, as a filmmaker going out like his movies weren't real big commercial successes like locally there was not a lot of money no. being put into these movies and this film i think is like the total crew size like including the cast was like 20 some people you know mm-hmm. so you're really thinking about a guy who's just going out into the woods i know there's some studio shot sequences but you're literally going out into the woods with a couple of you know with a small crew some equipment and you're just going out and you're finding this beautiful 
know, like allegorical scenes and set pieces and you're putting this whole thing together and making something that's so powerful, even 70 years later or whatever the fuck, you know, and it's just, it's, it's remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. Like, you know, it's just the little means to make something so re like restrained and minimal and yet be so powerful, you know, to me, it just blows my mind. Yeah, at the time, Bergman wrote an essay about this, and he was talking about how, you know, like I when, when I was making this movie, it was so hard, and I was just thinking because during the course of making this movie, like all of the actors are like carrying dolly track and stuff. It's like, right. like there was it was such a minimal crew, um, but but he was like, you know, I got an offer to make films in Hollywood, and I was really thinking about it, you know. But then at one point, you know, we're out here making this movie, and I'm thinking, could I at some point? have like more than $250,000 to make a movie. Could I at some point like have a dolly track that is not buckled, you know? And and then at, at one point, I guess, like the clouds, which had been like, they're, you know, keep, keeping them from shooting properly all day, just parted. Mm -hmm. And they all ran up like this little hill and these two cranes, these right. beautiful cranes fly by. This is in his mm -hmm. essay that he writes. And that they were all, they just sat, sat there and watched these cranes flying for like 20 minutes. And then and then he was just like, no, this we're absolutely on the right track. This is a sign, you <laughs> know, and then continue to make the movie. It's funny, on a film like this too, that has, you know, the overt miraculous symbolism uh, at the very end with the, the spring. Virgin Spring is, by the way, not the season, but uh, yeah. the spring at the end, you know. Exactly. So, uh Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I think just one observation I had just to, you know, keep pushing the ball forward is like, you know, he's big on theater. You know, he's principally is a theater director, director. theater person. Yeah. And he would always do a theater production. What is it like in the winter? And then in the summer, he cranked out one of these movies like every year. And I think his communal spirit on the theater uh, side of things, you know, uh, spilled over into the filmmaking. Like we're talking about people sharing workloads and stuff like that. But what really got me was like, you know, he's he's great with actors, you know, that's famous and these performances he gets. But I guess with him and Sven uh, Nyquist, uh, he just has such a great eye or, or a great eye is articulated between the two of them that uh, I know it seems obvious and he has very iconic, you know, still frames that are suitable for framing, you know, that kind of thing in all kinds of his films. But this one is just like, if it isn't, it wasn't. If these scenes weren't so composed so beautifully, uh, with such consideration of what's in the frame and what's not in the frame, and everything in relationship to each other in the frame, like when he's talking to God at the end, it's kind of distant, right. and he's he's right in front of that stream or that spring, you know, and water is a motif, and you know the film starts with the flame of Odin, okay, mm -hmm. with the yep. the. You know, brunette sister and it ends with the spring uh the larger spring and the one that springs up from uh karen's dead body but all i'm saying just to open this up is um just uh i'm just so impressed by the eye that i'm just going to fuse it and say it's finn and ingmar together that i think it pushes it into another level where it's not just uh filmed a filmed play is, i guess what i'm trying to say and that just shows yeah. like he really had another level of talent. Mm -hmm. If anybody has any thoughts mm -hmm. on that, a theater director yeah. and then this sick, purely cinematic eye. Yeah, a couple, a couple of thoughts on that. Like, well, one, I read that he was originally proposed this story to be a ballet, which I thought was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, um, but then decided it would become a movie. But uh, I totally, I mean, the cinematography is, you know, incredible on this. Um, there's so many like, wow, compositional moments, as you said. And I think, he what I also read was he was looking for sort of a stylistic 
departure, like something to to kind of uh, it was it was a sort of a crux in his career where he wanted to do something different stylistically. And he was super into Kurosawa at the time. Did we mention mm. this yet? So, mm. I mean, he was basically uh, trying to, like, really inspired by Rashomon. And, like, was mm. to the point when I read that he actually was, like, critical of himself later on for being too too on the mark, with too close to the nose with Rashomon. Yeah. You can totally feel that with the beautiful forest yeah. locations, the mud. You know, it's so textural, earthy, you know. Um, the Dolly elemental. Again, elemental, yeah. And then the stark you know, black and white photography or sometimes the, there's this amazing, there's so many amazing shots. I would just love to spend like, you know, five minutes talking about each one. But there was one moment where like the girls are on horseback walking in front of a, a, a lake and the sky is all beautiful. But then like the, the lake almost becomes just, it's so high contrast, almost like it's printed on a t-shirt or something, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it, it, like the lake becomes just white and, and it's, you know, obviously, maybe symbolizing like purity or whatever at that, at that moment when they're about to cross back over into the forest. But um, yeah, anyway, I guess the, the point was, I guess that he was really inspired by Rashomon to the point where he like criticized himself later for being like, yeah, I, I, I kind of, he thought he messed up by going too far. Yeah, (laughs) this was this originally he thought it was great. He was like, oh man, I really hit a home run this time. And then later on, he didn't like it very much. But the thing about Sven Nyquist composition like it's not just the composition it's not just like the the lighting and the direction of the lighting that creates like all these textures and everything there's something really magical about i don't know like the way the emulsion or what like there's something going yeah, on that's like magic um like just in the the it must be some miraculous sort of level of understanding of exposure and of the mm-hmm. film and of the grain character and the processing and of the final done. print yeah the process, yeah, because like Evan, as you know, like like nowadays, um, if you're shooting, you're probably shooting, you're almost certainly shooting digitally, and you're just getting all the data, and then most of that stuff's coming in in, in color correction and whatnot. You've obviously got to get the light coming from the right direction and whatnot, but yeah. so much of that is coming in the color correction. This is all like pretty much in camera and then oh, in yeah. the development <clears throat> stage. Absolutely uh, right. To the extent that you have, you, you didn't have anywhere near as much control over it in those days and yet for this film to look i mean to say it like that every shot is a painting is a cliche but like you're never looking at it and going like okay you can't they can't all be winners like every every industry everything is a winner every shot the little boy's face those eyes Mm. that's just like uh, you know, like that's filmmaking. That's what I always think is just like, that's what filmmaking looks like. You know, it's mm-hmm. potential. You know what I mean? And that's why we hated those other films so much that we talked about. I gotta <laughs> say one thing. Just t- there's a Tom side note. Ta-da! Is I, I did watch the Ang Lee obs- uh, commentary. It's, I think it's on the DVD. Mm-hmm. And Ang Lee said something that was kind of interesting to me. He said, um, it was the first art film he ever saw, by the way, when he was young in mm-hmm. school and it blew him away. And he's still influenced by it. Virgin Spring today. But he was saying, you know, he said there's so much confidence in the composition of the shots in the, in the filmmaking in general. And he said that uh, he was used to pop films, you know, junk, garbage, pop, Hollywood, Hollywood wannabe movies. And he said those films don't have as, enough confidence in them. So they're always trying to keep your attention like you're a baby and you're and people are wiggling, yeah. you know, sparklers in front of it. And that reminded me of whatever. Uh, yeah. yeah, sorry. It, it reminded me of my dig that I was having about the neurosis of a filmmaker like um, in The Fisher King, 
yeah. where they do have to keep tap dancing in front of you. And so when you watch a film like Virgin Spring, the assuredness of it, the confidence in it, and the belief in what you're doing uh, being executed with so much restraint and austerity, uh, that to me, I think really, I don't know, it's very uh, – there's a good examples for me about what I was really railing against and what is yeah. very common now more and more busy frames and busy bullshit editing and handheld. So this film is really the, uh, the antidote to all that. Yeah. One is an one example. Is, yeah. What, what for me, one thing that's kind of evidence of that in this movie where um, I think the instincts on uh, the post murder scene, shall we say the post revenge scene you know, where mm-hmm. Max von uh, Sydow's character, you know, kills the two attackers uh, that assaulted his daughter and then, of course, murders the kid. I'm sure we'll talk about this in detail. And that scene obviously being kind of the penultimate harrowing moment. But then um, he, he, as a filmmaker, allows you for all of the weight and the gravity for all of that to sink in, not just in the moment, but when they go out on that beautiful languid journey uh, to go find... Uh, yeah. Karen's body, you know, and that's just this moment where the the weight of everything and the complexity of everything, like, yeah. was I justified? Was I not justified? What the fuck am I supposed to do? Like, and you the know, pregnant and sisters beautiful. there yeah. too, you yeah. know, yeah. like solemnly also. Nothing said, really. Nothing's really yeah, said. Exactly. Nothing's. Re- I mean, a, a few lines are exchanged, but, but it's it's just feeling the mother's that face. You're just, you're just allowing stoic. that to be. They felt. are sort of exploring the psychology of what just happened of what just happened I mean. right they're sort of right yeah, yeah. and the, the spiritual aspect of it which i think is right obviously a huge part of it um because and and bergman even said at this point i, I read in i think it was in one of his books he was he was like i was kind of just done with the uh religious aspect of films at this point mm-hmm. i felt like i just kind of covered it i kind of done enough um but you don't ha- it doesn't have to actually be um, an important spiritual um, movie about Christianity to be a contrast between Christianity and paganism. Um, one really interesting thing about the, uh, the the paganism that persisted in the Nordic countries during the Middle Ages is like those pagans, the, the Christians were sitting ducks for pagans, man. Like the Viking pagans would go out who were they going out and raiding, like at Lindisfarne, and and who were they going out and raiding when they would go to to England and Scotland and Ireland? Monasteries. It was like sitting ducks. These monasteries, these pagans, like w- w- the monasteries, they had all these, tr- like literally all this treasure. They would have like wineries. They would have right. like their industries and everything. And these pagan Vikings would go in and forty minute raid, Scoop go in, kill up. people, steal all this shit. Um, and they would just take it because, but nobody else would have done that except pagans because the, the, even like your run of the mill, uh, like, uh, rogues in those areas would have been scared of God's vengeance, you know, pagans yeah. shit about God's vengeance. Can, can I ask you something? Actually, <laughs> this has been on my mind I'm glad you're bringing this up and it is, you know, this, the theme and the big part of the film is it almost sounds like they have a Nietzschean attitude. Uh, you know, a will to power, which is, you know, uh, uh, quite opposed to Christianity. And what I'm getting at, and one of the themes that was been on my mind in general and then was reminded of in this film is what was, if anything, the moral code of a Viking? Was it based on like the clan? Was it meaning like uh, don't cross your brother in arms, but otherwise fuck everyone else? You know, there was there was no conscience or guilt like, 
oh my god we we killed that poor man we we murdered his wife you know like like did what if any moral code did the vikings have if you can if you have any idea the vikings within their country not even just their clan but within their homelands uh, among other pagans were not going and raping and pillaging but they would go and rape and pillage outside uh, because there's like the America. other that like was American the rational- foreign policy you know yeah, it was the rationalization was it was the other so then uh, there's there's the, the, like morality stops at the border pretty kind of for them well it, these people it, had also been driven out you know of uh, right. kind of their original sort of saxon country by people who were um coming in and taking over so they weren't originally uh my 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 people from uh from the, the north countries Uh-oh. you know had not originally been there they had been driven there by others who took their land. So they were very conscious of the fact that you had to kind of strike first or be struck against. Mm. Um, and right. and so the, the sort of raids that they would mount against, you know, uh, uh, across the North Sea, th- those raids that they would mount were really sort you. of based on... They were uh, tough with a kill-or-be-killed attitude and morality was like a luxury concept. So why did Christianity... Yeah. yeah, so why then, getting back to the film, is, uh, you know where does this guilt and, and where does this room for the father and, the, and the, to have the guilt and the pleading to God for, for what he's done? Where, where is that coming from uh, in the culture then? And then like, what, what, uh, what was that? Uh, what was Christianity answering for these people in their context? Uh, do you think wherein that uh, they could entertain notions of having guilt, you know, instead of just like, well, fuck those guys, they killed one of my family and they are out at the end, you know? Why have the moral compunction of just killing off people who kill one of your offspring? Well, remember, Christianity wasn't something that you picked up a Bible and read in those days. Christianity was something that was given to you through, you know, possibly like like a, a a legate like a priest who might handle like the you know several villages and travel around in circuits and you might have you know one holy man here and there now of course we all know that christianity is a is a great means of control and it was right. used as a means of control for years and as a means for gathering up wealth particularly the catholic church during the medieval era gathering up wealth, gathering up wealth, selling, you know, going around, which is what Martin Luther reacted against, you're selling these, uh, you know, indulgences and everything. It was incredibly crooked. So the, the, um, someone like the, the patriarch here was not coming to sort of a, a personal kind of Christianity, kind of a born again Christianity, okay. but th- this person was really sort of functioning, uh, was, was using a Christianity that was handed down. Uh, and this Christianity was handed down in a way that would be palatable to former pagans, to people who had been pagans 30 years or 50 years or 100 years earlier. Okay. So it was very much like um, this, is a, th- this is the stronger God that has replaced the old God that we had. Hmm. How is it? How is Christian? How is God, uh, Jesus, stronger than uh, than Odin, man? The fucking right, Thor right, Evan? Odin. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, those guys seem pretty pretty balls out. <laughs> but, consider, but, but consider the team. Like, consider the teamwork. You know, consider the the fact that Christianity started in Rome. Like, I mean, Christianity had its base in Rome and had all yeah. of these. Like, it had so many branch offices. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Just the raw power in in organization. Yeah. As it 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 was demonstrated. Like Odin might demonstrate, you know, with lightning occasionally, but you could see a demonstration of Christianity. Odin didn't have a a lot of times like Christianity. 
Christianity would like overtake local religions too, right? They would incorporate it into Christianity, like, like you know, like in the, uh, you know, uh, back in the Israelite time, like the, the neighboring god was Baal, right? And then that word Baal becomes Beelzebub, like in, you know, in mm. Christian writings and stuff. So they, they kind of say like, yeah, your god, he's real, but he's really the devil, you know? So I think, and you see yeah. it play out in this movie too, I think, where yeah. Odin is kind of just synonymous with the devil, like, because oh, he's definitely. done, like, the devil's deeds, you know? Yeah, and, like, sure. There's these, uh, uh, these sort of, like, sacrificial rituals that the man by the, by the mill is talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Odin is fire. Odin is fire. And we, when we see fire, like, we see fire being stoked at the beginning by the bad sister. We see fire. Sister, yeah. We see, you know, he Max kills the guy, the guy in the fire. Yeah. yeah uh, and, then, right. and then obviously the pure running stream is, you know, clearly. It's the, the opposite. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, interesting yeah. that the, that the stream runs through the, the mill guy's house. I think the mill character is really interesting. Like what his function is in the movie and I stuff. Agree. But, I agree. Like, cause the spring is obviously the, like, you know, the, the huge major symbol of the movie, but that stream that feeds the spring runs right through that pagan well, guy's house. One gives life and one takes life. If you really break it down in a way, you know, fire, destroys and waters you know the life force um but him i don't know uh, about him that's that's a good little middle part of the film i if you guys have any thoughts about the the significance of any of the uh of the lecherous uh old man who's who sees who sees odin in the eyes of the of the you know the brunette sister I wondered if it was just maybe a, a film device to build tension because there's a lot of tension in this movie especially when after when she goes into the forest by herself and, and I was dread. on the edge of my seat with yeah with, with tension and dread and I feel like that character might serve that per, the, the mill guy the one-eyed mill guy who's you know he's very rapey and he's very like uh you know he's he's just uh he seems very evil and scary you know what he is I think he's 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 old school pagan like cuz well, yeah definitely old. yeah cuz he's talking yeah. about those he's got fingers and stuff and he's like I can I can. He's saying basically right. saying he can do spells to un, you know, to fix her situation. He was you know? he was primetime pagan when he was her age. You know. Yeah, and <laughs> right. he's such, it's such a dangerous feeling scene. I think it's to sort of set us up for the tension of what's going to happen later with the with you know yeah. the, the beautiful sunshine girl walking well, through the woods. And, and yeah, also, yeah, she... he was he was a primetime pagan when he was her age, but now he's like. 35 you know, <laughs> know. he's on his way out yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah senior exactly. but um, incredible the, all right the, so but it also serves as a function too because you know you have obviously you know karen who's the victim in the film but then you have her foster i guess she's the sister but she's a she's fostered into the family yeah. that was my understanding That's, me too um, of the of the other character her name is escaping me right now but the pagan character and mm. um and I think that scene also kind of sets up, you know, th- this complicated idea of where she represents paganism and she's watching, you know, her sister getting assaulted and not doing yeah. anything. Right. And, yeah, well, then of course, it, and she she impotently like drops the rock that she right, didn't act right. up on, you know, right. take action. And, 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 then, and then later she harbors the guilt for not doing anything and, and, and really opens up and, and talks to her father about how, you know, they were the devils and they did this and he saw them as devils, uh, you know, on top of her and yeah. assaulting yeah. her and all this stuff. And so, yeah, so she, forth, ha- she so. has her big conversion moment, you know? Yes. Yes, totally. Yeah. So, yeah. and yes, her sins are absolved by the spring, right? Like we see right. her at the, the beginning, stoking the fires of, Right. She stokes the fires of Odin in the first shot. In the last shot, she's yeah. washing her sins. She's washing away. some water. It's like a baptism for her and everybody, including the dead uh, sister. How, how amazing is when, I mean, 
I'm skipping around here, but the whole like right. Max Foncino <laughs> when he realizes what he has to do. Yeah, oh. unbelievable. And he's like, and they're still asleep, or, or no, oh, the, the tree. Oh my god, the, the, the tree. whole tree scene. It's like the whole tree scene. Yeah, he's like, I, I, I gotta, like... I gotta take this tree down. I gotta fucking cut yeah. some branches off it and start whipping myself. But also, and by the way, is there a better example of the beautiful visual uh, uh, symbolism? And, 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 and the just gorgeous composition, you know, like they got it all. You know what I'm saying? And it all seems so trite, but I'm going to talk about it. It's like they picked, they probably planted that tree there. It was in just the right place. Just the, 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 uh, just the great talent and, 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 and also the consideration that like, no, it's not just a guy knocking down a tree, but it's going to be composed beautifully. Yeah. You know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. The consideration. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the, bold, the boldness to go with a thing like that where everybody who's watching it goes, this is a symbol. You know, right? right. Yeah, but he goes for it. That, but he does it anyway, and it's exactly. Like, Fuck yeah, it's a sim- You know what? You want to symbol this? You know? Yeah, get down. Like, can go I, for it all I, the way. Can I just real quick? The tree I'm sorry. is God. Maybe it's like anything you want it to be, and he's he's. It's his first expression of anger at well, a goddamn tree at dawn. Well, it's the sapling he planted too. You know? Right. Yes. Right. Like yeah. And something that hit me just like while watching this movie and just what you're talking about like here's a fucking symbol and that happens a lot in this movie and i think it's just evidence of what makes him a great filmmaker one of the best probably ever um uh, as well too is that you know he really is so profound at making you know these visual allegories and making them work and and how like these visual metaphors of like everything and it really made me think about and I don't think a lot of people talk about this. And shout out to Raimi, one fucking hour Raimi, because she had this revelation, which totally blew my mind as well. How much David Lynch, I think, has taken yeah. from the work of Igmar Bergman. I don't think that's really talked about. I think he, I think David's talked about Wild Strawberries has as being influential. I remember hearing about that, like in film school or, or whatever school he went to, art school. Because because uh, I'm, I'm I'm thinking like a lot of people seem to sort of assume like they know the noir influences and everything, but yeah. like he's kind of like this singular visionary guy that kind of dropped out of he nowhere. Pete Bergman, but and but, but but I mean really this movie in particular, I kept thinking about Twin Peaks like over and over it's, and over again. It's the sycamore trees, right? Yeah, and well, it's like yeah. the forest as a metaphor, you know, where the innocence yeah. is lost, going into sure. the dark woods. The sort of like idea of that house was the Black Lodge with that fucking guy in it, and I'm just like yeah. thinking about like, you know, all this stuff and like that like Lynch's real sense for like dark and foreboding, atmospheric dread that's omnipresent ev- all, everywhere is is present. Well, in it, this but it's stuff, subtle. You know? It's not it's not overt. But like, no, there's all these little choices that include even like how long a take is, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, that, that creates uh, a feeling of uh, of dread, foreboding, whatnot. And Fanny Gosh, Alexander uh, has that too, but go on. Yeah. yeah. All right, we're running out of time, I guess, but like if we're talking about symbols with the film, um, we all, I think, want to talk about the little boy, uh, how it plays out in the film and his, and, and his significance in the film. Well, let's, let's talk about all three of the yeah. bandit troop, you know, because we see, we see all sure. three of these guys that are in the forest. They see like this vision of like, loveliness this daughter on her horse and And vulnerability (laughs) and and vulnerability and wealth you know um in the forest and you know they they we see the first one 
the the one without a tongue, you know, comes running <laughs> down the glade, comes running up into the foreground, and then he brings the others over. You know, he's the one who sort of leads the way, yeah. sees her, and then he like you know calls them them up um, to see what he sees. Um, and then they go over and they he has the jaws harp, and they go over and they confront her, <laughs> and she's so like her reaction to these fucking meth heads is so touching you know Do these hills have eyes rejects yeah yeah, yes. yeah like guys that you see out in front of walgreens you know um <laughs> you, you know like it is so touching because we're all like no yeah, 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 yeah. Away. but she's away, but she's naive <laughs> she's more than naive though she's also i think pampered i think there's an implication with that where uh, you could say that the brunette sister's pretty goddamn st street smart, and she's like, "Get away from those guys immediately." Right. But this yeah, other girl is not just she's the blonde is not just naive, but she's I think also so pampered and has been living in this puffy, yes. like 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 life that because her both of her parents in their own way for their own weird reasons, you know she's like the the, the special kid, the daughter, and um, they've kept her from anything that's thorny, you know, so she's completely unaware that. She, she probably has not even the imagination that she could be raped and murdered. You right. know what I mean? Absolutely. She absolutely does not. Um, and, and then also she's Christian, you know, so she's being right. protected by this higher power, you know, right. and the, the, the candles believe that too, because they send their daughter off on this mission that you would never, you know, um, I know. like none of us would do that. But she's on a mission like for God in a very practical sense. Got to get those God candles to the God place for, you know, like, so. And just you, by the way, like candles, you didn't go to the store and buy candles. Like you had to render candles from the fat of like many, you know, many slaughtered animals. Yeah. That that Jaws harp that guy's playing, it's so funny because it's like it's it sounds like such a hillbilly type American hillbilly type sound, you know. And it's pretty uh, deliverance. I'd there. forgot it was yeah, it does. And that is like the um you know, in all these sort of like the fourth the uh, the rape and revenge movies that came after it, it often is like sort of a hillbilly type yeah. I you know, know. Pr person that you are having to murder for, you know. You sure got a pretty mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah I know. right, right. It is. Exactly. And, and those well, are moronic guys. too. They have like an idiot sense of humor, you know, like a menacing mm -hmm. idi idi idiocy. They're they're he extraordinarily says... men like like they're extraordinarily, especially the the tongueless one, extraordinarily Ugh. menacing. And he's Lynchian too. I think. I think oh, David my... Lynch would like mm -hmm. Bob. You know, like he he Dude. brings characters who have that sort of horror or like Bobby Peru. You know, oh you're have so that, hang on. right. Yeah. Hang on. That, he says, even no even in that big tuna camp ground has like uh yeah. isn't um the eraserhead guy like inarticulate uh, jack jack nance Giants. yes is he yeah. like talking weird in it like no you know <laughs> he's making weird weird voices so. guys well, i'm talking about big tuna the the campsite Never mind. but wait the the other the 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 guy with the mouth harp thing right he also yep. says i think in that scene we were just talking about i think he says i i i inherited it from my father who inherited it from his you know, that's mm -hmm. some fucking Leland Palmer shit right there. I don't know. I kept seeing the parallels between this. It's great. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. And the, and the little kid. And Ramey, and like, Ramey saw it too. I mean, Ramey, Ramey was right there with it in terms of the Twin Peaks of this all, which I don't know. Sorry, Lars. Go ahead. Sure, sure, sure. No, I was going to talk about the lactose intolerant child. 
Oh. I think he's like food oh. of the I think he's a food of the victim child, you know. That that metaphor was really killing me like, you know, the two times he could could not stomach eating the food of the fa- of the of the, you know, the the victimized family, you know. That really that really got me. Talking, I'm glad we're getting into this cuz like the symbolism and then just the boy's face right. and how that's dealt with when he's being told that story by I think it's a priest. Not even a story. He's just like giving him that incredible visual metaphor that's spoken in this case, which is interesting, but you see it in your head of like, you're trying to get across this river of fire. And, you know, like, and it's just like, I was spellbound. You remember that? And you're showing the boy's eyes. And then he's like, but then a little hand reaches out to you on the other side of the the creek or whatever. Thoughts, prayers. There's also like that priest who tells him that whole story. Remember the the servant... Uh, is like, I know why you were expelled. You know, I know why the, the church kicked you out of the city or whatever. Because um, he's talking about, he saw, you, you know, all the things that he saw in the city and he was kicked out into the country from the city. And it made me right. think like, oh, was he like a pederast or something? You know, it, let's, it, let's it, assume it, that. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was his opening line to the little boy, you know. And uh, also with like routine. a little... Like also with just the the strength of the filmmaking, I mean the kids' performance is uh, you know amazing in this movie, um, in terms of just like the nonverbal, yeah, yeah. Uh, like of his of his face, his facials, and just how you're getting all the emotion and the guilt and the regret of everything yeah. that he's. Well, when he runs to. to the to the mother, you know, like the 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 you know the instinct to go to the mother, and the mother accepts him, and then mm-hmm. the, the, all that is hardcore 100% amazing like he runs to the mm. mother after the two guys are killed like save me she's there with her paternal instincts and then the dad is just like no and you think and I, I, I was like when I first saw it it's like how's he gonna is he going to kill the boy and how and he just picks him up and fucking throws him <laughs> know, like a toy like a doll he's like Ugh, uh, you know like come on guys right it's it, well Lars has I, a I, 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 my girlfriend had never seen it. I was rewatching the movie last night to get, prepare for this. And that scene happens. And of course, the whole scene is just like, it's a hyper real scene. It's intense. From the time when Max von Sydow tears that tree down, he whips himself in the sauna with the branches <laughs> to purify himself. Yeah, he says, amazing. bring me the knife. And it's like the most incredible knife ever. He-Man, like nine. fucking He-Man, Masters of the Universe, fucking yeah. dagger. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. How about then, when he sla- How about when he wakes the 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 the, the thieves with the thrust of the knife? Oh my the god, it's table. amazing. <laughs> like, and it's incredible because that 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 moment <laughs> is so chilling. Where it's like, I'm in the same room as the men I'm about to kill, yeah. and they're sleeping like and they're sleeping like babies. Yeah. And they're in dreamy cloud heaven, and everything's fine. They're probably the best night's sleep they've had in a long time, by the way, in the, in the yeah, fire. Yeah, seriously. Inside. And so they're like cozy, you know. And he's just like kind of sorting out, like, how exactly am I going to? Well, fuck he's looking, these through, guys he's looking up through the clothes. It's like they got these clothes that they're oh, going right. to—they're going to take to the pawn shop or something, you know? Right, yeah. exactly. Well, he lingers on her. The thing that kills me is I knew there would be some article of clothing that would, yeah, that would get him and stop Great. in his tracks about his daughter. And it was like the shoes, the lingering the shoes. I'm done. Great. Tap out. Great. If simple you don't make films that go to that level, yeah. don't make films. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Lars, saying, continue. Well, just ring the bell. Yeah. But we're watching that scene and, you know, it's this intense hyper real scene the whole time. You know, when he kills the other two guys, throws the guy in the fire and then like the kid runs over and we're like, oh, thank God the kid's safe. <laughs> he goes over, he picks the kid up. No. Fucking hurls him against the wall. 
Oh and we both started laughing, just kind of like we just all started laughing, talking about it. There's nothing funny about it. It's a serious yeah. moment. It's a serious movie. But it's funny because it's so like... Outrageous. Fuck, this movie. It's almost like slapstick. It's like, yeah. like, hey, you, like, stop living. It is. It's like Fairly Brothers, like, for a minute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but It's but, like, um, this is a movie? Yeah. It's very yeah. broad, I know. Yeah. Yeah, well, one thing, uh, just real quick, on, just because we're in this moment right now with this scene, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the most underrated part of this whole sequence, to me, it stuck out, like, watching it again, was the mother just being mm. a total numb bystander to not intervening, just standing there silent as everyone's getting fucking slaughtered and silent children witness. are being thrown silent witness. And it's like, you, it's like, that's her way of being part of this vengeance as well. Too. It's, a, it's a counterpoint to the scene where uh, the, the, the one meth head is like, like shows her the dress and tries to sell it to her. And she's oh. like, oh. that's, that's like the pivotal scene in the movie. She looks no, at the that, dress. She's perceiving all of this, and he's like, "Well, how much?" He's talking. He's like, he's like, "She's like, I think I should go and talk to my husband. He will know what this is worth, or whatever. Yeah, or he yeah, will yeah. know how to reward you for this, right. or something. You know. <laughs> well, so you know what the tension is, guys. Well, Lars, I'm glad you mentioned that. Just real quick, <clears throat> talking about like tension within the film is when. Will she, will she, will she, or, and when will she look up at him? She's making, it's just, that is filmmaking. And also it's, it's his theatrical strengths, you know, as a producer uh, of theater, but also film again, she does not look up at him. She glances at him at the very end, but he's, she's just listening, taking all in and there's no eye contact because everything was fine until she saw the garment. And then, and, and then we know that she's changed. He doesn't. And it's just slow. It's underplayed. Nothing's happening, but it's very intense. For nothing to be happening on a person's face and they're staring down, it's, it's a lot going on. Incredible. Mm -hmm. Marcus, do you have something you were saying on that? Uh, just, well, I was thinking about the, the scene where, this was a couple topics back, but when the, the boy, I read the script is a little bit different in the scene with the boy at the end, and that the mother, in the script, I guess, the mother... Like the, the 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 dad's gonna let the little boy go, and the mother like insists that she that he kill her. So it's like a little bit, it's a little twisted in the. Oh, I guess like script. when it came down to shooting, you know, Bergman made some decisions about how what wow. you know what sort of topics he wanted to explore. Oh. And I think the little boy's guilt is like a huge. I mean, obviously, guilt is like maybe even like a bigger theme in this movie than it is. the religious aspect of yeah, it. You right, know? definitely. Um, and yeah. yes, so exploring the little boy's guilt and like what. You know how it impacts. Yeah, what happens to him? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, the, the whole uh, thing, and not just not just killing the little boy, but killing the actual rapist murderers is unchristian. It's unchristian mm -hmm. to do that. Burn um, the other cheek. He should he should forgive them, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Burn the other cheek. And, and, and that's the thing too, which the, you know, a, a few topics ago when we were talking about the Christianity versus paganism themes in the movie as well too. I think another thing is like you know obviously. This is Max von Sydow's character's tour, the character's name. This is his instinct, you know. His instinct, you know, is to fuck these guys up, you know. And I think another really powerful thing about this movie is that, you know, yeah, it's set in medieval times. The dialogue, the dialect, the dialogue or whatever is theatrical. It's a little over the top. But, you know, to me, in the way that everything is being depicted, especially the, you know, sexual assault scene, 
uh, how just matter of fact that is presented, how matter of fact the murder, the throwing of the kid, everything, you know, it just shows that like, man, this is fucking humanity right here. And it's fucked, sure. you know, and this is it. And it also echoes throughout time, even though this took place in the Middle Ages. This shit could be happening in fucking the Staten Island, like right now, you know, like, of course. you know, no, it's so I dad, think, like, uh, you know, yeah. what's that thing? There's like a. Oh, I don't even want to get into it, but yeah, like there's, it happens. It still happens all the time. And why wouldn't it? It's a, it's a primal instinct. You've killed my child. Yeah. You've killed my offspring. Right. And uh, a man and a woman, a, you know, parent uh, of any kind, like the first thing they think is not like, well, we should make sure that these people are brought to justice, but you know, they should, you know, have a roof under them still and three minutes a day. It's like, no, they want to see them bleed out. You know, yeah, in, like because that's that's right. elemental. That's their, your offspring. Fuck right. everybody else. But then you know, it's also about just how God works in mysterious ways, right? Because it's like you yeah. know, it's like God wanted a church built there or something. So he let the little he let the girl get murdered and let the father kill the kill them. Let everyone feel this horrible guilt over what happens, and they go to the site of the murder in a spring pops up you know the guy says i'm gonna well yeah i need to atone for my sins i'm going to build a church here then a spring pops up which is god saying yes this is all part of my plan so it's like you yeah. know in, in a way it's like you know uh it's not presenting christianity as like quite uh it's not quite saying that like it's a peaceful religion whereas the pagan ones were more you know violent and, and um warrior-like because it's showing that like the the christian religion is full of these mysterious like um the mysterious violence of the Christian religion and, and executing God's will is like Look, a huge... we're all sinners. With Christianity, Christianity myth, Christian mythology is so weird. It's like we're all sinners, you know, after the apple. So we're all going to hell unless we sort this out with redemption mm -hmm. and, and servitude to, to God and Jesus. So, um, you know, you can do... What I'm saying is you could do anything. All, all, we're all already sinners. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it, it almost doesn't matter if we murder a child or we, you know, are just uh, exist because of Adam and Eve's, you know, transgression. So uh, it's very Christian to just feel like uh, the point of all this is not have you sinned or have you not sinned, but it's it's the after, you know. I got to ask one question of you guys, though, is like, uh, you know, there's a, a miraculous thing that happens here. There's there's a supernatural thing that happens with a, a you know, spring just welling up, you know, immediately, you know, when her body's pulled off, off the ground. That's very, uh, that is a visual depiction of a, of a Christian miracle yep. that is being depicted, at, and, and it's the closing thing of this film by Ingmar Bergman. What is, what is he doing with that? Because, uh, you know, it, it would seem if no one knew him or the context uh, larger of, of his work and his thoughts, like it looks like it's, it could be played at a ch Sunday church, you know, like uh, it looks like it's, you know, go to church, guys. Go to God. You know, and 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 wash yourself. You know, in in the river of, of baptism. But I do. So you're the. What's he up to? What's he up to? Sorry. You you've been you studied the ballad here, right? Not really. I, I read about it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. A little. I was wondering if that if that happens in the ballad. Well, to uh, me, it, yeah, yeah. The, oh yeah, the well, the spring, sure. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm the well and the church and it's it's like more daughters it's like there's like seven daughters and they yeah, were all like beheaded 13. yeah right. yeah 13. i can see yeah could we should say for yeah, the audience it's... listening as i said at the top of the show the film is based on a uh, a ballad from the middle ages um but the film was it so that that's what it was adapted from 
Yeah. Um, and we should also say too that this is really one of the f- one of the only Bergman films not written by Ingmar right. Bergman. It right. was written by Ula Isaacson, mm-hmm. uh, uh, who um, she had. Uh, she was a respected novelist, and she took this ballad and the thirteenth century Swedish ballad, and and, you know, and a bit and, of a medieval yeah, expert, right? Uh, right. She, she was she was uh, knowledgeable about uh, medieval uh, mythology, so he, I think he the honor to do that. The answer to your question, Tom, I think is I was reading an essay earlier today. It was talking, it was addressing that directly, like saying, like you know, they were pausing. Why did he why did he choose to write this movie with you know a co writer instead of writing it himself? And um, they were saying that, like, because of his stance on religion, he needed somebody to help him, <laughs> like, with the believer side of it. He wasn't a believer enough to carry the movie over okay. the finish line. So he teamed up with somebody to, like, help cover that aspect of it and to, and to lend some credibility to the um, interesting to the medieval side of it because he felt criticized over uh, the seventh seal. So that's right. what he was asking. Oh, right. interesting. Because, like, um, yeah, obviously, obviously the movies he would make – you know, later on into the '60s, are all about the existential crisis of you know. Well, God that's is the thing. God's dead. silence. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. but wait. See, that's what I'm. That's what I'm asking you guys. Is like, like, uh, um, it, it, just if you looked at it at face value, it looks like this film ends with the fact of God existing mm-hmm. because there was an act of God, a miracle that happened on the site of a father. You know, but, asking for a sign, basically. I but you th- saw this. You saw the murder. You both murders, like, like God. Hello, and then God goes, "I'm right here, buddy." And the end. So, uh, well, I, I think, to, but to Marcus's, to Marcus's point from earlier, though, he could also, or you could interpret it just the same. It's like, you know, God works in mysterious ways. We had to rape and fucking kill uh, this woman in order well, yeah. for this wellspring to appear. Isn't that great, everybody? No, it's like fucked. You know, so you could also kind of interpret it in that way. That's how I'd like to interpret right. it. <laughs> it's just Definitely. weird to see the evidence of God at the end of this film, and, and I'm just trying to understand what he was what he was after with that. Right, it's all part of God's plan that these horrible things. Right. That's not what I'm saying. Right. I'm, I'm saying no, more like, I'm not, that's, like God I'm not exists. What you're saying. Like what yeah. the I, film is saying is God exists, and that's an. I wonder where his head is at with that by ending a film where he's saying. Look, here's the proof that God exists. Right. I think he's trying to be faithful to the to the ballad, the source material. You okay. Know? I think okay. that's and there, that's there, there is like a church built at that site. I guess that's still there. You know. Oh wow. And, and mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I saw it on Wikipedia. And uh, wow. you know that thing you were saying about Evan about like showing the true violent side of it reminded me of um, uh, you know this film. I guess we, we were going to talk about how Last House on the Left was in basically a remake <laughs> of this film, right? Unreal. And. Uh, and I was thinking about it, you know, because uh, it's, it's sort of like a much more violent take on this film set in modern times with the same plot line, some story and stuff. And when I was thinking about that movie, I was, I was recalling that we're talking about in Salo, how some people, two different people can watch a movie and see it in different ways. And someone can look at Salo and all the deep, like metaphorical aspects of it. And another person looks at it and goes like, I love all that fucked up gore, you know? Yeah, and right. it's almost like, I, mean, I was thinking for a second, when I was thinking about Wes Craven and Last House. I was thinking like, is that what he saw? And this was <laughs> like, yeah, like the rape scene wasn't fucked up enough. I want someone to piss their pants. And, you know, and he was like, well, how can I make it more violent? But then I kind of looked into it a little bit more. And Wes Craven was saying that he wanted to depict violence as a way to, he felt that society was getting to, uh, looking at people being too heroic and like in the, in the face of the Vietnam war. And he wanted to show just how brutal and gross violence really was. It's not just about people being heroic, you know? So that's why he was trying to be really explicit in his movies. So circling back to this film, it's like, you know, is it Bergman showing like how 
how you know this Christian religion actually has all, could could be interpreted as having all these horrible, violent, you know, undertones to it. You know? mm-hmm. I could see. Yeah, that's how I what I was kind of what I was saying. You know, in terms of how there is that is one way to look at it. Like you could look at it like the end of a Carl Dreyer film. Where you know the, the 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 presence of God, the awe-inspiring you know thing, or you could look at it as even a, on a darker note, which maybe he found you know in doing this. I don't know. Well, the Bible's full of violence, you know. Of course, right. of course. So, so is life. That's the thing, and I guess Christianity's <laughs> trying to address human life on Earth. And so it's going to intersect with uh, a lot of gnarly stuff. So yeah, you know there's I mean? a lot of contradictions. Uh, obviously, you know, and this mm-hmm. is a good example. This story, a story like this, is a good test of that, right? Yeah, you know. Um, so to to, to jump, jump back on the track a minute to the Last House on the Left. Remember also that Wes Craven was going to originally make that as a hardcore porno movie. So <laughs> I think maybe he was just trying to find a story wherever he could find one, and maybe he wasn't. I don't know. Maybe he didn't didn't have like a Bergman level of inspiration in doing that. I don't yeah. know. Um, well, but- I, I just I'll defend uh, old Wes here for a second. He was a teacher, and this is somewhat a, a compli- It had a complicated birth. Last house on the left, you know, he was just trying to break into movies, and you know, so often like you know, people are at the very mm-hmm. bottom, and they have to do something that you know, like grabs people and makes money yeah. for the producers. Right. So he so he was assigned to make the most out there violent movie ever. And he could have just made a movie that had no themes and wasn't influenced by anything and was just like a bunch of guys kill a bunch of girls, you know, the end. Like he did, I I think he did like and respect Bergman and Bergman's film and wanted to play with that a little bit. And also to speak to what you're saying, for for what it's worth, uh, he, he was addressing violence, you know, like it's not sanitized. It's not like the Green Berets with John Wayne, but it's actually ugly and people bleed out. And it's harsh. And it was sort of a last house and left is coming off with a lot of like Vietnam era, like anger, you know, at the at, at uh, you know, the white middle class, the parents of all these baby boomers. And it has it's related to sort of a Manson family kind of uh, violent anger towards like, you know, the you straight society that throws yeah. everything under the rug, but allows children to be napalmed. It's got. It's got some weird, like wild, you know, card kind of um, negative right. vortex of violence in its source. It's not just mm-hmm. simply a cynical, uh, you know, like execution of like, oh, people getting killed. And, you know, I for, think what it's worth, for what's worth, the hills have eyes is a similar theme of like what kind of horrible things can drive like people to do like right. normal people to do barbaric things, you know. And, and that one is also based on some folk tales, like a Scottish folk tale about that's right, you know, cannibals yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So I guess he, he was looking for uh, some classical inspiration. He's a, he's a literate guy, you know, compared shocker, to Shocker was based on the poetic Adam. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord great well not um, many people know that what's up can I, we, uh, well, let me, let me, well let me circle back to just like one other thing too because maybe there is a tension with the ending of the film in terms of you know being faithful to the sort of uh christian miracle ending of mm-hmm. the source material but also bergman's own personal um feelings on christianity and i think it's maybe one could read into it that uh, there's a great visual metaphor at the end there when he is shouting up at God. I feel like a traditional Christian filmmaker would be showing you Max 
von Sydow's face and you would be looking at him and the light would be coming down on him. No, we're fucking far behind. We're to his back for his whole monologue. We are like, um, yeah, like, 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 God is not hearing you. Yeah, right. Yeah, the camera's way behind. (laughs) Yeah, he's like. This is this is a film of so many haunting scenes, and that's one of them when he's doing that. Um, I, I wanted to mention as the clock is stressing me out. I don't know yeah. how you guys do this every. I week. know. Welcome to our world. Yeah, but but the Just, uh, like the, I, I want to mention one scene real quick, which is like, sure. okay, so uh, she, she gets cl- the girl is clobbered, you know, with that stick, and then she's bleeding and she's dying and she's making those horrible sounds, and then she's on the ground and she looks up and her eye does like, oh yeah, this thing. Like of all the moments in the film that haunt me, and there are seven or eight, you know. That's one that probably will haunt me the most and live in my nightmares forever. Yeah. The twitching, the like, the, the, the brain uh, spasming, yeah, is very, yeah. very a harsh. A lot of that scene being shot through the trees, you know, it's so frustrating because, mm-hmm. like, it's almost from, it's almost voyeuristic, like, you know, Ingrid's angle or whatever. But it's also just like adds to the tension and frustration because you want to get in there and just move the stuff out of the way so you can see what's going on, you know. You know what um, shot. Yeah, you know what shot got me real bad too, like in terms of being haunted and like it just created a big impression was, uh, so after the after the big violent sequence towards the end when they're going out trying to find her body, and uh, when it's the upside down shot, uh, top down, bird's eye of the mother going down to hold the you know her dead daughter. You know, yeah, and then Max yeah. comes into that is fucking hardcore, and the decision, of course, to film it in that way, you know, yeah. upside down, bird's eye, um, and is just super, super effective. And of course, shout out to Sven too. You know, I think maybe this is probably one of the earliest usage of zoom lens in Bergman too, and the zoom lenses mm. are, are used uh, very effectively throughout the whole film. It helps the storytelling, it motivates the storytelling with the kid and his performance and the emotion yeah. into the kid in those in those critical moments uh, in the film. Yeah, yeah, just absolutely brilliant shit. A call out to Sven being the DP of Star 80 too. You know, That's another right. one fucking hour uh, right. hit. Um, one of the great things I, I noticed was there's, there's the, those dolly shots through the woods. You mentioned a dolly earlier, Lars. And uh, there's these great dolly shots through the woods and I was like, gosh, that really reminds me of Black Moon, the uh, Louis Maul film, 75, because yeah. they, they have a bunch of these running do, running through the woods dolly shots. And I look, yeah. look and I'm like, sure enough, it's Sven, same DP. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Rashomon also has a bunch. I went back and reviewed that, you know, just for some cinematography stuff. And, and they also do a lot of these crane shots moving through the trees, too. So I was thinking, you know, maybe they were like, they wanted to do those crane shots like Rashomon. But they only have a dolly budget, so they choose to do the dolly budget, you know, the right. dolly uh, shots of the woods. Anyway, I, lo- I loved those moments. Totally. Reminded me of Ivan's childhood, too. Shout out to uh, Tarkovsky a little bit, too, mm. um, uh, in that not to get, you know, too criterioned out here on the show. But um, any uh, <laughs> any uh, any uh, final uh, thoughts, Lars, on uh, this fucking killer movie? Yeah, like, I, I, I think people should... People like us, if you like the taste that people like us have manifested, you should watch this movie. Um, don't don't uh, avoid movies like this because you feel like uh, that you've been disappointed, you've been burned too many times by watching um, serious movies that turned out to kind of um, egghead crowd, you know, not not be the emperor wears has no clothes, you know, because mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. does happen sometimes. This is not one of those cases. Bergman is one of the all time greats. Nyquist is one of the all-time greats, and this movie is one of the all-time greats. Yeah. 
100% Virgin Spring. Uh, awesome to revisit, and um, it's it's yeah, it's 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 killer. Good pick, Lars. That was that was really great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Better. Uh, yeah, I liked it a little more than all the marbles. Okay. All right. All right. So, with all the marbles. I'm just kidding. I liked all the marbles. I don't know what's wrong. I I watched it. all right everybody that was one fucking hour on the virgin spring our first bergman bergman welcome to the show now a new friend of the show um and uh it was great to have you back lars i'm super super happy to uh get you back on the show let's make this you know if you're up for it we we'd love to have you again uh yeah let's knock off let's knock off the other ones that are on your list 100 percent, yeah or whatever you want you know well, maybe not whatever he wants, right? Evan, it's not going to work for Evan. Evan is not going <laughs> to no, go. No. Is he the gatekeeper of the Lars <laughs> picks? And he's not even showing us? Like, uh, No, they're the list. same three. The same three you guys saw. I'm up for the others. You know, the okay. other titles. <laughs> okay, Let's okay. Well, I'm up, right, I'll watch anything on a certain... Lars. That crosses the line, you know. Yes, Tom, Tom, yes. Tom yeah. have, you seen, have you seen Johnny Toast the Mission? I have not, but I was okay. willing to go there and look into it. I was and curious. What you're, picture, what you're picturing is some kind of like bullshit gun foo shit, right? Oh, <laughs> no, 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 I, I've heard. I've heard that Johnny's got a lot to give. I've he heard good things, that. and I've been curious. He did say that. I mean, by the way. yeah, I don't have any opinion at all Look, in, 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 in any direction other than curiosity. Lars, Lars, Lars's third suggestion was spun, and I didn't really think we wanted to do one fucking hour on spun. So I, I felt I'm just Oh, kidding. right. My mom loves <laughs> that movie. What is that? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> you don't even know what it is? No. It, you don't, you don't want to know. Uh, okay. Maybe Google it later. No. And it's your mom's favorite movie, Marcus? Is that possible? <laughs> she loves it. I don't know. She may You're watch kidding. it. You're kidding. Hi, Mom. The, the movie watching. about meth heads with Mickey Rourke? <laughs> oh, no. I'm thinking of Salt and Sea, which is okay. also about meth heads. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, okay. no, 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 no. That's, no, we're talking no, that's about the shipping news. That's Brittany your mom. Murphy? <laughs> yeah, shipping. Actually, my mom's favorite movie is House Sitter with Goldie Hawn. <laughs> oh, Christ. We're going to have to have your mom on. <laughs> we should. We should do yeah. Mother's Day. Mother's oh, we Day. should definitely have Mother's, Mother's Day, Day Normcore. <laughs> Just like all our moms pick movies. <laughs> my mom's my, my mom's movie would definitely be what's that Jack Nicholson um uh Diane Keaton uh Which is it Beastwick? No, 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 not even. Uh the one that's right, out in ahead. Long Island in the two thousands. Oh stop it. As good as, as it good gets? as it gets. No, the other one. <laughs> no, that's the other one. Oh, Something's whatever. gotta it's give. One of those, Something's one of those something, sentence title movies. Something's yeah. gotta give. My mom would be yeah, one fucking hour. Sort of maybe some, yeah. not as well <laughs> Something's got to give. All right, let's talk about what, what is let's next week. Let's keep grinding week. forward. What's next week? All right, so let's talk. Uh, very excited about next week, everybody. This is going to be a great slight uh, shift. Slight shift in the plans, but I think it's going to be really exciting. Uh, now, this is our going to be our first Hitchcock film. Okay, right. we 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 have done our, our second episode ever was one fucking hour on Psycho, nineteen ninety eight. Of and course, it's the early '60s again. By the way, <laughs> that's, right. that's right. So we're formally covering. Uh, we did talk obviously about OG Psycho on the show before in, in great depth, but right. we are going to get into uh, one fucking hour on Alfred Hitchcock's *The Birds*. Okay, that is going to be wow. next we have week. A guest for that? Yeah, I, I actually thought who would be the perfect guest for that? I, I can hook you up with exactly the guy. Oh, you I can exactly the guy. I can hook you up. Birds with guy. Him. You know a guy who knows a lot about the birds? I do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, he's 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 uh he's really big into romantic thrillers. 
Oh. Oh, who doesn't love a, a romantic <laughs> yeah. thriller? Talk about my mom? Um, no. Okay. So, yeah. who's coming on the show next week? That's right. Uh, special guest of the show, One Fucking Hour and the Birds, oh. will be the director of Birdemic Shock and Terror, the master of the romantic thriller <laughs> trademark, James Wynn. So, James Wynn is coming on One Fucking Hour to go deep on his favorite movie. Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. So yeah. stay tuned for that, wow. everybody. Next week, that's really happening. That's a real sentence I said, and it's actually going to be happening. So yeah. um, not an April right Fool's joke. Here. Yeah, right here next week, James Wynn and us getting deep on Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. I'm very excited about it. So, But anyway, we can't let fun. you guys go uh, without... Um, hold on. Stall, stall while I find it. Uh, okay. The sublime and the ridiculous. Here we go. <laughs> we can't leave you without, of course, your moment of zen. <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you, Lars, for coming back on the show, and we will see you next yeah. time. Thanks, everybody. Great Bye. Time, Lars. Very yes. fun. Thanks for coming. The winner is... Oh, the winner is the Virgin Spring. Come on. Jay Harvey. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. Yeah, we didn't talk about that. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, self-deprecating. Is the right exactly? Is, is